0: I forgot all about it, and uh, I got up here and sat down and thought, I've forgotten something. So anyway, we're going to be in Philippians this morning, so let's all stand, Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, and as we start this journey, this eight-week journey through the Bible, if you have not got your book, I would encourage you to do it. It's five bucks. Uh, if you absolutely cannot afford it, we still want you to have one, but try to try to pay us back if you can. But if you can't, we understand. Uh, what we're going through, it's going to be different, and it may be a stretch for some of you because some of you have read the Bible like this all your life. This is the way I've read the Bible my whole life. It's got verses and, and things like that, and it's all, uh, thank you, it's all divided up. I want you to know that the Bible was not written that way. When Paul wrote a letter, he didn't divide it up into verses and say, this is Thessalonians or this is what he did. He didn't do it like that. It was a letter. And when we read letters, we just read them. We just read them. And it was meant like that. And the stories were meant as stories and, and there was more of a, of a book form. And so we're going to try to, it's going to be different and it may be uh, difficult for you, but just here's the deal. I have prayed and your board has prayed and we believe that this is where God wants us to go for the next eight weeks. We believe that this is what God has for us. And so we just want to open up your heart. We want you to open up your heart and just hear what the word would have to say to you for the next few weeks. So we're going to read uh, and start here in Philippians. and. I just believe this is where God wants us to go this morning. So let's prepare our hearts for the word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. We're going to read these first 11 verses here of Philippians. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. I love what he's saying here. He's saying, you know, I know I say these things over and over again, but you need to hear them. And the whole Bible is just a continuous reminder of of what it is to follow the Lord. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those manipulators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcised, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised, and he starts going through his achievements of his life. He's saying, if anybody... Thinks that they have any confidence in what they've done. You know, you can say, you know, I went to Sunday school every day of my, every day I could go for my whole life. I've never missed a day of church. I've sung in the choir. I've been on the board. I've been a pastor, whatever it is. Whatever you think your accomplishments are, Paul is saying this. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of israel the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of hebrews in regard to the law a pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church as for legalistic righteousness faultless But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, considering them rubbish, that I may gain Christ. He's just saying, I just want to know Christ. I'll, I'll give up everything to know Christ. And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law... But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ. This is Paul's goal in life, to know Christ. I want that to be our goal in life. Let's pray. Father, today we need you to come. We need you to come and move upon our hearts and our lives. And we need you to break us today, Father, to where the only thing, the thing that is the thing that we want to attain more than anything else in the world. Paul calls it a possession, literally a possession. Father, we need to possess a a relationship with you to know Christ. And so, Father, I pray that At the end of this day, that you will so move in our heart that our goal, our main goal, the thing we strive for more than anything, would be to come into a relationship that we literally know Christ. Father, move on us today, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, A new year is a funny thing. It's interesting that we can go along and then all of a sudden there's a day and we think that on this day, I'm going to change things. On this day, things are going to be different. And that happens all the time. All through life, there are times where we make a decision and after that decision, everything is different. When I got married to Cindy that day, it made a decision and everything after that day was different. It was good. It was great, but it was different. And there was a moment and I made a decision. I was married. And then from that day on, and there are days like that in your life when you enter into contracts, when you enter into friendships with people. And there are days when on that day you make a decision. There are days that you have made decisions for Christ that after that day you were never the same. And so God says that that, that, that in, in our lives there are days like that, and sometimes it happens to be that when we get to the to a new year or the first day of the year, we say I'm going to whatever, and I'm going to make resolutions. And and if you watch the world around you, everything starts changing right after Christmas. All of the advertising starts changing. Did anybody has anybody been to Walmart? What is the very first thing you see when you walk into Walmart right now? Does anybody know? No. (laughs) I don't know what... Apparently you love people. I didn't see that at all. When you walk into Walmart, the very first thing on the left, the very first shelf is weight loss products. It's those... It's that... It's it's equate weight loss supplement meal. Meal in a can or whatever. You know how I know? Because I was sitting there contemplating whether I needed to buy it or not. Okay, so that's where I am. But if, and if you start watching TV, you see people that you don't see all year long. I haven't seen Oprah for years, and she shows up the first of the year, every year, with Weight Watchers. That Marie Osmond, she's pushing the old Nutra system. I lost 700 pounds, or what, I don't know. But anyway, this Nutra system. What else do you see? A lot of uh, drug rehab commercials. You'll start watching them and seeing them. I've seen, started seeing them you see them all through, but it seems like lately I've seen an uptick in that. And so people who are selling things and, and they're selling ellip, lots of elliptical and, and uh, uh, exercise stuff and things that I'm not interested in at all, uh, those things, they're all up because what happens the first year? We start making resolutions. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to. And, and if you and if you uh, listen, I've started listening, and I heard organization. I heard people saying, the, the trash guys saying, just point and you can get it. And, and this is a time of year if you go into Walmart, they're stocked up on totes and things like that, all right? So you can organize your trash, all right? So it's easier because we want to get organized. What happens? First of the year, we look it around and we say, we need to get organized. I don't know about you, but at my house, we do Cindy does this Christmas thing, and it is it is just a... It is, it's a lot of Christmas stuff. And, and I love it. I love it. And she puts it out like two, or three days before Thanksgiving. And it is up and it transforms our house. And I love it. But I'm telling you, December 26th, I'm ready for it to leave. Isn't that funny? How it's wonderful. And all of a sudden there is a day when you don't want that stuff anymore. And I told Luke the other day and Cindy, and Cindy, it takes all day long and up into the night. And Cindy goes... And she loves it. There's no one that loves it more than her. But when it gets to 26, she's like, "This has got to go." And so we load it all up, and we buy the totes, and we put it all in the shed, and we put it away for a year. And we try to get the house clean, and we try to get organized. And when you get it clean, you're like, "Okay." And this year we're going to keep it clean. And that's, and we usually don't have any trouble with that. But you're, you know, if you watch the, if you watch Walmart, Walmart knows, and the advertisers know. That this is a time of year when people say i 'm going to do this we 've all made some sort of choice in our life, and in the church, we do the same thing. I specifically wanted, and I brought before the board the idea of doing forty i mean uh, forty days, eight weeks, eight weeks of Bible reading on January one. I wanted to start January one because that 's when people start thinking i 'm going to do things different. And every year people say, I'm going to, especially in the church, and I think we've all done it, sometimes I'm going to pray more, I'm going to read more, I'm going to attend church more, I'm going to give more, I'm going to give more of my time, I'm going to give more of my talent, I'm going to do what God would have me to do. And we all at some time or another say, I'm going to be better than I used to be. I want, and, and we do this in the church. But what are we really trying to accomplish when we say that? When we say I'm going to read God's Word more, if I say I'm going to pray more, if I say I'm going to be at church more, what are we really trying to accomplish? Why do we want to do these things? Why do we want to read more? What is the payoff? And so I started thinking about that. What is going to be something that is accomplished by us taking aside eight weeks and reading the whole New Testament? So I wrote some of the things that some of you might be trying to gain. Number one, some may try to gain biblical knowledge. You might be saying, I want to learn. There may be some of you who have never read the New Testament all the way through. I hope that's true. I hope there's some brand new Christians that have never been in the Word very much, and this is just going to be like mind-boggling to them, that they have never sat down and just read completely through the New Testament. I know there's some here that have, done, have never done that. And so maybe you're just thinking, I just want to read it. And we live in a biblical, illiterate society. There used to be a day when people understood the Bible stories and thought, and knew they were real and or at least had some idea of what it was we're talking about. That is out the window. People don't know that anymore. And so some people may be wanting to gain knowledge. Uh, But we live in a society that has no knowledge. They they have no knowledge. Uh, The only thing they know about Christianity is what they hear on the news or the Twitter or the Facebook or Internet or whatever it is. And they think that the Bible is this racist book of rules that spreads hate to all people. And that the followers of Jesus are these judgmental hypocrites who never have any fun or anything like that. Because that's all they've ever heard. Okay, And so if that's you, and, you're kinda, and you've never really delved into this thing, you've just heard what other people say about it, this is going to be a great time for you to figure out what it really means for yourself. So maybe that's you, and you're just wanting to know information about Christianity. Or maybe you've been in this church for years and years. Maybe you've read the Bible from cover to cover, Old Testament, New Testament, so many times that you can't remember how many times you've read it. But you love it, and so you always want to go back and see if you can find something new. I mean, you listen to Christian radio. You read books about books about the Bible. You read those kinds of things. You're always listening. You listen to hundreds of sermons which feel like thousands of sermons. But you, you've heard the Scripture over and over and over again. But you really always want to pick up one new thing. How many of you like to pick up new things out of the Bible? I do. I love that. I love to do that. Okay, and so some of you, you've already read the New Testament, but in your mind, you're thinking, I'm going to learn something new. I'm going to learn more about maybe Jesus. I'm going to maybe learn more about the people that followed Jesus or maybe what they were thinking while they were following Jesus or I'm going to learn more about the, the, the society or the culture that Jesus lived in. I'm going to pick up some new truth. And so it's worth eight weeks of my life to pick up a few new stories or a few new facts, okay? You want to better maybe know the settings or the reasons people were doing things. You want to know information and it's... It's good to know information. Information is good. And we want to encourage you to do these kinds of things. Uh, and we want to encourage you as a family to do these things. As, as I would encourage you to read with your children. I would encourage you to read with your spouse. and And... Try to find out new information, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Maybe you have... uh, And and so maybe you're wanting to read just so you can come up with some new information. The second reason that I figured out that maybe we want to do this, maybe you have someone in your family that you are hoping that during this time, while they're in the Word, or someone that you know, or a friend that comes to church with you or something... Maybe you're praying that they, through God's word, would have an encounter with Christ. You're hoping and praying that, that while they are in God's word, and, and I remember specifically, we were, we were in uh, the, the, board room, the board meeting and we were talking about this, and Anita Freeman said, there can't be anything bad. Happen about spending eight weeks in the Word. I don't know if that's exactly what you said, but it was something like that. It's was like that's 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 going to be good if we if we're in the Word for eight weeks. That's going to happen. And so that's I, I was thinking about this, and and you're hoping that uh, that, that that someone in your family or or uh, someone around you is going to hear from God. And here's the deal: isn't that why we bring our kids? We bring our kids to church so that they will hear from God. We bring bring our kids and our teens to Sunday school, pray in teen group, hoping that they will hear from God, hoping that God will speak into their life, and we pray for that. We invite our friends, hoping that they are going to hear from God. And maybe there are some of you here this morning who are praying that over the next eight weeks, something will happen and fix someone in my family. Or fix what's wrong with my family. Or fix with what's wrong in my kid's life. Or fix what's wrong in my friend's life. Or, or maybe during this eight weeks some, something will happen that will fix my marriage. Or, or fix my relationships that I have with others. And i got to be honest with you. When I first heard about this, when I was first introduced to going through the, the New Testament in eight, eight weeks, I was watching a video. Is that a pastor's thing? And I was watching a video. And as I watched this video, I started hearing pastors giving testimony of all of the great things that happened in their church through spending eight weeks in the New Testament. One pastor in particular was bald. And after eight weeks of reading the New Testament, his hair grew back. It was, no, that's not what happened. But, but I heard pastor after pastor saying how new people who had never read the word began to hear God's voice. And then I heard more pastors, and then they had three or four pastors that talk about that. And then they had pastors talking about people, old Christians, that had been in the church for years and years and years, saying, I heard things from God that I had never heard before. I heard God in a fresh new way. And people say, you know, I had a a new relationship with God, a new understanding of God that I never had before. And I started hearing about all these life changes. And I got to be honest, when I heard that, that was my first reason to want to do this. I was like... That would be wonderful if we could have life changes in our church. If, if God would move, and I start praying, oh God, move in our church. Start changing lives. Bring people to a saving knowledge of you. Mend families who are broken and save souls. And, and maybe if there's someone who is dealing with addiction, God, please heal with addiction. And all these things are, are good to pray for. And they're not wrong to pray for. And I hope that we pray for those things to happen. And these are not bad things to pray for. But I'm going to tell you, in the last few weeks as I've been praying for you and as I've been praying for the church and as I've been praying for us as we head into this time of just setting aside and going through together, as I've been praying for your families and your kids and I've been praying for men and women in the church, I'm going to tell you, one day it was just like all of a sudden God said, what about you? And I was like, what? And he's like, you're praying for everybody else, but what about you? And I said, you know, what about me? And all of a sudden, I felt this deep conviction. You see, I've been praying for everybody else, for God to enlighten everybody else, for God to bring change and healing and restoration and redemption to everybody else. And God, do this in the lives of others but I hadn't been praying for what God might want to do in me and I got under conviction all that and I could see all the work that God needed to do in the life of others but I wasn't praying for what God might want to do in me and that is what we do sometimes isn't it now what we do sometimes, we, we think about all the things that need to go on in people around us life. We think about uh, people who are having problems and we pray for them and we need to and, and we look at our kids and we say, this is what needs to go, oh God, please do this in my family's life or the people that we work with and we spend our time and it's not time ill-spent but at some time or another, we need to spend time and say, God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do in me? And we have lost loved ones and things like that. But God, what do you want to do in me? And uh, I started asking that question. What do you want to do in me? And uh, I just want to ask you this morning, what are really your goals over the next week? Has it been to know more information and get more knowledge about the word of God? Have you thought, God, I just, I just want to hear and, and know some more facts? I just want to tell you, if you walk away from this with facts, just facts, that will not have been what we want to accomplish this week, these weeks. Or maybe you're praying for others or maybe your goal is that others and that, and that is a good goal. But it's kind of a, I got to tell you, I was convicted. That was kind of an arrogant prayer. And I think God wants us to pray for others, but I think the first person we start with is God. What do you want? What do you want to do in me? What do you want to say with me, God? Where where is where is there something in our relationship that needs to be better? So I started to figure out what my answer was, and I tell you, facts are great, and it's good to know facts. You know, it's good to know that. God took five loaves and two fish and fed thousands of people. Those are facts. But you know, does it matter how many fish it was? Or how many loaves? I'd rather know the guy that did the the miracle. I don't care how many fish it took to do. I don't care how much bread it took to do. I want to know Jesus. I want to know the guy. I don't need to know any more facts. I want to know him. And, uh... I want to pray pray for others, but the truth of the matter is, this is what matters. I have got to know Christ and I want to know God. And So the best thing I can do for the church, the best thing I can do for you, the best thing I can do for Cindy, the best thing I can do for my family is to not know about God, but is to know God. You know, the best thing I can do for my grandkids is not give them things and and give them information. The best thing I can do is to be a godly man of God and to know God. The best thing I can do for Cindy, the best way that I can be the husband I'm called to be is to know God. Because if I know God, then God's going to help me be the husband that I need to be to her. And Paul says that everything, and, and, and Paul understood this. And he writes and he said, everything that I've accomplished in the church is useless. Everything I've done, everything that I've done that makes me look like I am being exactly what I'm supposed to be. All of that is useless. The only thing that's important is that I know Christ. Is that I know him, that I have a real relationship with him. And he literally compared this to a possession. If you read in the Amplified Bible, and I don't have it marked here, I'll have to look for it. But in the Amplified Bible in Philippians, it goes uh, just a little bit further. in talking about this. And I want to read these verses for you. Yet furthermore, I count everything as lost compared to the possession. He, he describes his, his relationship with Jesus as this possession. Something that he has, something that he holds on to. And he says it, it is a, the, to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage. That's a lot of words to describe one thing knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. So listen to how he talks about this possession that he has, this relationship that he has. To the, to the, I count everything as lost compared to the, to, to, to the possession and now he's describing it. The priceless privilege. The overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth, the supreme advantage of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, and of knowing and becoming more deeply and intimately in a relationship with him. See, he understood this. And he said that nothing compared to this possession of knowing Christ. He, he talked about it as this possession. I don't know if you've ever watched American Pickers. I kind of like watching them picker guys. They always come up with, they always have stuff. And if they get into these guys that have these big collections, they'll have all this stuff that they've, they've acquired and they have stuff that they like. And so they buy, and, and lots of times it's the same kinds of stuff. And they'll have two or three of one thing or whatever, but there will be one that is like their thing that they will not sell and I've heard it and I've and I've been listening for it now that I've heard it a couple of times I've heard two or three guys say this is my most prized possession and it'll be a car or a or a I don't know what it is it can be whatever it is but that's the thing that they're not going to sell and those guys know when they say that there's no, no matter how much money you threw at them, they would not sell it because they have, they have wrapped up everything that they are in this possession that they can hold and they'll never take it with them. I want to ask you this morning, what's your most prized possession? Paul said, my most prized possession is this wonderful, and he goes into all these uh, words that describe the possession that he had, this beautiful, wonderful privilege of knowing Christ. Is that your most prized possession? Is that the number one most excited thing in your life that you are excited about? Is that the one thing that drives you? Is that the one thing that you put your whole life into? Or is there something else that you're pouring your life into? Paul says, my most prized possession is knowing Christ. I want to read verse 12 to you. He said, not that I have attained this or have already been perfect, but I pray. No, that's wrong. Eleven. That if it's possible, I may attain to the spiritual and moral... Where where am I at? I'm doing the wrong thing. Verse 9, okay. And that I may actually be found and known as in him, not having any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own, based on my obedience to the law, saying it's not because of what I've done, it's not that I keep the rules, or the laws demands ritualistic up rightness and supposed right standing with God thus acquired, but possessing, this is what he's saying. He's talking about his possession again, but possessing that genuine righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the anointed one, the truly right standing with God, which comes from God by saving faith. You know what Paul said his most prized possession was, was knowing Christ And knowing, he knew, he knew and understood that he was in a right relationship with God. Lots of times if you ask people, are you in a right relationship with God? They'll say, well, I hope so. Well, I hope so. I hope, I hope that I am. I I think I am. I, I hope that I am. If you ask somebody, are you and your wife getting along okay today? They'll, they'll tell you exactly where they are I mean I know I know I was doing pretty good till I made that sandwich thing so it may not be we may not be right right now but uh, I'll go buy her lunch and everything will be all right but you know what I'm saying you know you know when you and your wife are okay because that is a close intimate relationship. I can tell when Cindy's crossways with me I mean she makes sure I know <laughs> And I just know. And then sometimes even if she doesn't say, you know, you just, you just know. How do I know that? Because I am in a deep, intimate relationship with her. And Paul says, I know that I am in a right, upstanding, right relationship with God. I know it. I can feel it. I can understand it. And so we don't have to go through our lives wondering if we are right with God. I don't have to wonder about that. I don't, I don't have to go into the future saying, boy, Esther, I hope I got everything took care of. I can know it. I can know it. And, and you was talking about your sister, Deanne. She, Satan will try to put uh, doubt in your life. You know, you know, you know, you know. And Deanne is facing life and death, and, and she's out at the end, and Satan is trying to talk her out of her, of knowing. I've seen it, I don't know how many times I've seen it, when people get down to the end, they're like, I don't, am I, you know, and Satan just tries to put that down in there. I'm gonna tell you what, Christian, this morning, you can know that you are in a right relationship with God. And Paul says it, and Paul says, it, it, everything else can be in chaos around you, and sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? I was thinking about my, year I'm going to tell you what I had I had this is it's like that old I don't know what the name of that book is but it was the best of times it was the worst of times I'm going to tell you what I had as dark a days as I've ever had in my life in this last year and then I I mean to where I was like this, this is never going to be right again have you ever had, ever had something like that? you ever had days in your life when you're thinking, I, I am never going to get out of this? I have sat across the desk from people, and, and uh, I could name names this morning of people that's like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of this. And if you talk to them today, they would say, God brought me out of that and delivered me, and he has brought me to the other side. Well, I want you to know, I've had some really dark days, but I'm going to tell you, God has delivered me and brought me out. He has brought me out and and I'm like I'm like how do I go from that to where I am today? God, how do you do that? But he does that. That's what he does. And some of you right now are maybe with me and you're and things are going well. Enjoy it because Paul says I count it a privilege to be in the sufferings. And you say, hmm. Not really Can I not sign up for the sufferings? Paul said, I want to be right in the middle of them. And I'm gonna tell you what, I learned things in the sufferings that you can't learn on the mountaintop. You gotta go down in the sufferings. And when I and I'm and I'm I'm better for it. And I'm not saying I'm I'm saying I'm I'm better, I'm better. The Lord has helped me. I know more. I understand more. I can see where God can have you, where you can be, and you can be right in the middle of God and doing what God wants you to do, and you can be suffering, and then God can pull you out of that, and he is faithful. He is faithful. So no matter what God, no matter what happens, God can pull you out of there. But in this, we have to learn that I can know God. So I don't know what you're, goals are Not, I, I don't want it to be so you could learn facts or that others might have a life change but I want your goal to be and God's goal for you is that you would know Christ just have, think about that I can know I can know the living God I can know him and his righteousness can be in, in me and, and work through me and, and I'm going to pray for you And you pray for me that each of us would know Christ more deeply, like Paul said here, more deeply and intimately than we ever have before. Lance, I want you to come. I'm going to open the altars this morning. And I don't know what you need to do today. You may not need to do anything. But there's two things that came to my mind as I was writing this this morning. There's kind of two responses. There's always a response to a message. The word always gives a response. Always, always, always needs a response. And so I think there's two responses today. I think the first response is repentance. I think the first response is, God, I have, I have not been in a relationship with you like I should. You know, there's sometimes I have to go to Cindy and say, you know, I haven't remembered things like I'm supposed to. I haven't been. I, I'm, I'm not as good a husband as I need to be sometimes. Cindy, I'm sorry about that. And sometimes we just talk about those things, and we're, we're not, you know, and, and when we're done, we're brought, brought back into right relationship, okay? Sometimes sometimes we neglect each other. You say, oh, Pastor. Not you and your wife. You don't neglect each other. You know, sometimes through the going of life, you get going and you just kind of neglect the relationship. Maybe that's where you are with your relationship with God. You just say, you know, God, it's not that I don't love but I have neglected our relationship. I have not made it my one goal. And God, this morning, I just want you to know I repent for that. And God, for the next eight weeks, I am going to seek you. And I want not to know information, not to try to get someone else where they need to be. But God, I want to know you. God, for the next eight weeks, help me to hear and to know you. Maybe it's repentance. Maybe you're right where you need to be you want to just come and I thought of it this morning as just a covenant just coming and praying in front of of the church and it's not got anything to do with that but just coming and making a public statement to God God I love you I'm following you but I want to know you better and God for the next eight weeks God I just want to know you better maybe this morning a husband and wife needs to come and just together say we're going to do this together We're going to, for eight weeks, we're going to concentrate on me and you knowing Christ better. And we're going to read together. Maybe you need to gather up all your kids and say, me and your mother are going to, and you guys, we're going to read this together. And for eight weeks. We're going to sit and we're going to learn about who God is and we're going to know Him better. Maybe you need to drag... Your, your All your kids are here this morning. Maybe you need to drag them down here. Maybe you just need to have that talk in your pew. I don't know. I don't know what God wants to say to you this morning. Maybe you need some repentance. I haven't been where I am supposed to be. Or maybe you just want to say a, a, just a public statement to God, just, just between you and God, but just say... I'm going to know you better. I want to know you better in an intimate, priceless relationship. That's what Paul said. Paul said, that's, that's all I want. Everything I've accomplished, I don't care about. I just want to know Christ. I'm telling you what, the Lord broke me down. I just want to know Christ. Whatever that looks like wants to stand this morning. We're going to sing. If you need to come down and pray, you can. I want to meet you right here. We're going to pray with my wife, and we're going to covenant together this morning. If you need to come and pray, Lance, just sing for a little while. Just let the Lord lead you as we sing this morning. In the secret, in the quiet place.